in, everybody. It is time for the Mainland Podcast, episode number 136. And uh, I am Michael Citro from TheMainland.com, the founder and managing editor. We talk about all things Orlando City and Orlando Pride. I am going to bring in my broadcast partner now, David Rowe, up in Tallahassee. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm actually doing pretty well for a guy who follows a team that's uh, not playing well. Um, uh, maybe it's maybe I'm just starting to slip into some sort of uh, of altered state of uh, reality in my brain where you know we're not as bad as we are, but uh, you know it's we're uh, you know Stockholm syndrome something. I don't know. Anyway, it's it's I'm feeling okay today. Okay, well I'm glad you are. I feel like crap. Um, I'm tired of the losing. I'm tired of the looking for silver linings. And it's just really hard to talk about losses on losses on losses on losses. And that's what we've got this week. Two games since we last spoke. Two losses since we last spoke, Dave. And in two extremely different ways. Um, I guess we'll just jump right in. I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of all of the uh, the happenings of these games. I just don't have it in me this week to to really dissect the game and go in any kind of linear fashion. So I'm just going to hit the highlights. And, let's uh, hashtag, yeah, uh, let's uh, bullet point this thing. Maybe they're lowlights, but let's start with Thursday against New York City FC at home. You know, the thing about the soccer Yankees is that they are really, really good at home, and uh, they had been struggling on the road this year. You thought maybe this is an opportunity. The last time the, the Lions were home, they beat Toronto, looked very good in doing it, nearly got a clean sheet. Uh, but no, that didn't happen. Uh, New York City wins 2-0. Orlando City wins the crossbar challenge, uh, hitting the woodwork four times and hitting the inside of the net zero times. So Orlando City has now gone, uh, what, four games in a row against New York City FC without scoring a stinking goal? Are you kidding me, Dave? Unfortunately, no, we're, we're not kidding you. That is that is indeed the case. Um, and uh, hitting the post four times was... You know, it's something we've joked about earlier in the season that it, it seems to happen a lot, but that was utterly ridiculous. Um, and, it, it, you know, after twice, you're kind of like, ah, and then the third one hits and you're, and you're like, all right, so this is this is the worst. But no, 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 no. They get another. Um, and, and you're just left shaking your head and wondering how something like that happens, especially at home. I mean, one would think just by law of averages, something's going to go in if you're that close. Yeah, it just reminds me of Happy Gilmore. Are you too good for your home? <laughs> she's, um, go to your home. It, it's, it's just so annoying. It's just um, – it's such a – a nut punch of a shot to see it come off the post because that means you were like literally inches from a goal. Every time that happens inches from a goal and it happens four times. So you're roughly eight inches from four goals and an absolute laugher. Uh, and instead you lose two nil and uh, the, just the pain continues. Although I was told by several people on the social media and in our own comment sections that mm-hmm. once Jason Christ was gone, all of this was going to stop because the roster was just too good to lose games under anybody else. 
Um, I do remember the, reading something and hearing something about that myself. The problem was Jason Christ. I was told this, and it has not happened. It is not, it is not a thing. So um, my question is, what, you know, was that the wrong move then? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the team does seem in some respects to be playing better. Where I yes. see issues, um, and it, it's funny because a lot of the people are saying, well, you know, he's, he doesn't have his two center backs in there. I was like, the same stuff I was saying about Jason Christ, in other words, right? The same stuff I was saying about him not having his, you know, the guys that he needs in there being in there. He was just about to get them back. He gets fired. And now that's the excuse that uh, the team that's playing so much better now can't get any wins. They did get one win. But I don't know that they couldn't have gotten that with Jason Christ because we'll never have any way of knowing that. Um, and I'm not here to, to, to really rail on that. I'm just making an observation because I'm frustrated. And this, you know, I, I'm i not opposed to coaching changes if it really changes things. So far it hasn't. It's, uh, you know, you see a team that looks like it's more dangerous in the attack, but it's still not getting results. And that's really the bottom line. So, uh, and, yeah, I feel and, like uh, Melvin from Office Space. Uh, I was told there would be cake. Yeah, and then the there's just been some really odd personnel decisions that I can't really argue with, but I can't really support either. And we can talk yeah. a little bit more about that. We talk about it in in one of the talking points about the New York City game is that PC played left back and he was awful. Um, I, I can't even get mad about it because if you don't play someone all year and he's getting no minutes, he's going to look awful in mid season against a team like New York city FC. Yeah. I, if I remember right, I think he got a two, uh, in our player grades, which is, uh, last I checked on a 10 point scale, not good. He was getting destroyed. I mean, he was just yeah. getting absolutely hammered. Um, I thought he played a little better out in LA. I, I think a lot of people still were holding, Thursday against him and, and maybe they were holding some things against him that weren't his fault. He was, he was asked to track the right wing. He did that, but then LA kept running in Dos Santos into that channel between him and the center back. And I think a lot of people blamed PC for that. And that wasn't his responsibility. That's gotta be, you know, either Gita or, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, El Munir, somebody else has to make that run or watch that run and, and defend that because PC can't defend two players. He's got to defend one, and he's already committed to defending the, the right wing. So, um, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. New York City game, uh, again, Maxi Morales scores off a, just a weird play um, where it looked like everybody kind of touched the ball, but nobody could really get a good touch on the ball. And then... Uh, was a PC that knocks the ball off the shin, uh, shin guard of a player, and it almost goes in. I think Earl got a touch on it, hit it off the post, mm -hmm. and uh, and then it just bounces exactly right to Maxi Morales for an easy goal, and um, and then they get one right before the half uh, to make it two nil uh, on a, a play where again PC just gets absolutely destroyed by Anton Tinnerholm and he makes a great shot, and uh, it's two nil loss. Um, I guess if we have to. 
Yeah, if it wasn't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all, especially on the little ping pong balls that go on in the in the box on our defensive side. That inevitably we cannot seem to be able to get a good clearance, and more often than not, it feels like they they end up getting into the back of the net either. And, and on you know, like you said, easy ones for Morales or just dribbling over the line, it's it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and, and you know the second goal too was also a shockingly bad giveaway by Yoshimar Yotun in his own half. Uh, I thought against New York, Yoshi had a terrible game. I, I didn't think he played very well at all. Um, it was one of one of his worst games uh, of this season for sure. Um, but there wasn't a lot of positive play. But the second half, I thought everybody played better uh, in some respects. The second half of the game was much better. I think that was where Orlando hit three of their four posts in the second half. And um, right. it just, uh, you know, you can't get back in a game if you can't put the ball in the net. They couldn't put the ball in the net. And, and uh, you know, you get swept by the Pigeons and uh, don't even score a goal against them. And that is embarrassment, complete embarrassment in my book, because I don't like that team very much. I don't think I've made any secret of that. Mm, um, nope. And really hate losing to them. And I really hate not even being able to score a goal. I can't, can't point to any positives from the whole season series. So, uh, I don't know. You got a man of the match for this game? Uh, um, you know, Johnson did okay. Um, you know, despite the, the goals, I thought Edwards did okay. Um, RJ Allen, I guess. I mean, you know, he was trying. Yeah, I thought RJ played a pretty good game, actually, overall. Um, you know, most of the danger, obviously, was on the other side of the field. RJ had some yeah. key passes. Um, you know, really probably should have had an assist at one point uh, i think on one of the ones that hit the post um but of course you know he he uh i thought he did pretty well i, I would i would not argue with rj allen for man of the match uh then day of the team had only uh they, had, they basically got up and flew to la the next day because uh mls scheduling ladies and gentlemen um to play los angeles galaxy the la galaxy had also played on thursday in L.A. Uh, they had a road game in L.A. Uh, against LAFC on Thursday. So uh, even so though, they had to travel also. Yeah. So both teams played on Thursday. One team had to go across the city and the other team had to go across the country. And um, so I just figured L.A. is just going to just absolutely destroy Orlando in this game. I went into that game fully expecting to get our rear ends handed yeah, to us. I, I was thinking this is going to be another one of those four nil games or whatever. And um, no, surprisingly it was not, um, you know, the team actually looked, especially in the first half, looked like a very fresh team. Like they had some jump in their legs. They had some excitement, some enthusiasm, some spirit. And they go out, they take a one nil lead um, on a play where virtually anybody on that, on, on the forward line there could have scored the goal collection ends up holding it, holding it, holding it. And then, uh, Igita runs in and gets his, uh, fourth goal of the year. Unbelievable. Four goals this year for Igita and, um, makes it one nil, uh, LA of course, uh, wasn't going to just sit back. They, they came after, uh, Orlando and, and got, uh, the equalizer on a sort of a play where nobody kind of tracked Dos Santos. And of course, a guy who has had str- struggled to score all year scores a goal against Orlando city makes it one, one. Uh, <laughs> and just before the half, you know, a, a beautiful counterattack, And finally Orlando gets a break with an own goal, which we haven't seen in two years. 
We haven't seen one since uh, 2016 uh, wow. from a, from an Orlando City opponent. So the opponent puts one in their own net, and uh, I mean, obviously, the thing about it is if uh, if he doesn't put that in his net, I mean, questions is putting that right on Yoshi's foot anyway. So it's probably going to be yeah. a goal either way. So it was just a really great uh, build up, a great attack, and it was two one. And you thought, huh? Well, maybe. You know, this is new. This maybe maybe <laughs> it's our night because usually you know you give up a you score a goal on yourself. I don't know what the I don't know what the percentages of the, of the you know of a team's winning percentages are in MLS when they get when they score a goal for the other team, but I bet it's pretty low. Yeah, it wouldn't seem like that would be something that uh, lends itself to winning matches. Yeah. So uh, you know they come out of the second half, uh, they get an early chance, uh, they just miss. I think it was Yoshi again, who can't seem to find the net. Nope. And uh, a minute later, it's uh, one, it's two-two because uh, Zlatan decided to be Zlatan, and uh, there was just no stopping him. There's nothing that Orlando did worked. Um, it was a uh, sort of a nothing play out of the midfield where it looked like Amro Tarek was in good position. They go up, he goes up for a header, loses the header to Zlatan, which. You know, that's not ideal, but it was a two-on-two situation with Ola Kamara, and Chris Schuler got absolutely roasted for pace by Kamara, and Tarek, after losing the header in the air, got outrun by the old man. Zlatan outran him into the box, and uh, Kamara puts it on his head, and, you know, there was no missing that. That was a goal. Yeah, well, you know, you don't mess with us Zlatan, so we've uh, we've established that prior. Uh, we, we you mentioned that last week, and uh, uh, he certainly proved that to be true. Unfortunately, um, it, well, we've said it before. Uh, you know, how many different uh, back lines has Orlando played this year? A lot, a lot. We'll just yeah, leave it at a lot because I don't even want to count. Um, <laughs> although, you know, and I just messed up because I just uh, I, I just gave an accounting of the third. Um, LA goal. And at that point it was two, two, uh, or at that point it was three, two Orlando, but, um, the two, two goal was a, a, a cross from out wide that, uh, you know, it Zlatan was at the back post and he was being covered by PC and uh, Mohamed El-Munir who are both, I think roughly come up to his waist. Like if, if they were seen at an amusement park, everybody just assumed those two were his kids. Yeah, if they uh, were to, <laughs> if one was to stand on top of the other one with a trench coat over it, they then they could look like one guy next to them, mm-hmm. next to Zlatan. But uh, unfortunately, no, they weren't. Yeah, so Zlatan scored it, made it two-two. Dom Dwyer with it, just an amazing uh, header in traffic uh, off a great cross that we need more of from Mohamed El Um So El assisted Dom and made it three-two. Then and the, once again, you're sitting there, you know, where is this coming from? Like, this is not what Orlando has done this year. They haven't right. come back when they've gone, uh, you know, when they've given up goals, let alone take the lead again. Yeah, it's like, what, where, where are they getting the legs for this? And, uh, you know, after playing on Thursday and traveling across the country and playing a lot of the same guys. Um, but it was 3-2. Then, then, the, then the play I just described, the two-on-two, made it 3-3. And uh, and then it wasn't long after that that uh, a ball into the box. Tarek heads it, has a chance to uh, at a free header to clear it, and he only gets it about six yards away to I don't know maybe a guy you want to cover, Zlatan standing all by himself. <laughs> um, 
and I'll put some of that on PC, but there was really nobody else in the area that, uh, you know, and, and you got, you got to have guys on this guy. You can't just, I mean, it, there, I remember a time in the first half when Zlatan gets the ball at the top of the box and three guys collapse yep. on him immediately. And I think the, the, the announcers even called that out. Three guys. Like, we're not letting this guy beat us. Someone else is going to have to beat us. Where did that go in the second half? Because there were never three guys near him. I uh, can I, only I, assume that they figured that uh, that was one of those, oh, well, we don't all have to be here. And then everybody forgot and nobody did it. Well, regardless, um, you know, once it got to 4-3... It almost immediately, you saw the legs go out from under Orlando. You saw that they didn't have the jump that they had. You saw that they had trouble connecting passes. They had trouble keeping the ball. They had trouble uh, dribbling out of trouble or, or, or passing out of it. It was They couldn't keep the ball. It was, it, it was like, okay, all the adrenaline has just now left our bodies, and we're feeling every mile between Orlando and Los Angeles. And um, it really kind of... The Lions really kind of got lucky uh, that they didn't uh, concede two or three more goals because Zlatan had some great chances. Chris Schuler too long on the ball. Zlatan just came and took it from him yeah. right in front of Earl Edwards Jr., who thankfully was a little more aware than Chris Schuler was on the play. Um, it, it was a nightmare game for Chris Schuler. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Um, you know, we, we saw, of course, around the time it became – 3-3, you started to see guys fading from the game. Krishna Gita uh, kind of disappeared completely, and he was a big part of of, uh, of that first half for sure, the first half performance, which was much better. Um, Kleshin started to, to disappear from the game and not be able to get on the ball. Uh, credit L.A. for some of that, but I think a lot of that was legs going away uh, in, in the short turnaround and the cross-country trip. Um, but even for all that, Orlando City with a golden opportunity late to get an equalizer, uh, free header in the box for Stefano Pino, and he missed the net. So um, Orlando gets nothing and likes it again. And 4-3 um, <sighs> loss, uh, which is, I guess, better than a 2-0 loss. But, uh, you know, again, somebody's going. somebody was MLS Player of the Week who played against Orlando. This is happening just ridiculous amount of times. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, somebody gets a hat trick, and that somebody's Zlatan. Uh, it's, you know, that was easily predictable as to uh, who was going to get that. Um, you know, going back to Edwards, I thought he actually had, despite giving up four goals, it's going to sound weird. I thought he had a decent, decent match. I mean, he made, he did make some very good saves, including that one that you said, uh, where Zlatan just, you know, was all by himself with only he and uh, uh, Edwards uh, in the area. And, and he actually made a really, really good save to, you know, come out just a step or two and get that. Mm -hmm. uh, he had some other ones throughout the match as well. And I, I think he did it once again. I know that he gave up four goals, but it's still, if you go back and, and watch most of those, he didn't have much of a chance at, and the ones that he did, he, he made a good play on. So I, I, I don't want to give it up to him. Um, you're right. Uh, I think a lot of the players, you know, before the legs went out from under him, were playing very well. It, there were things that I liked uh, that I saw. Um, and, you know, part of that's, hey, you know, we scored three goals on the road at LA Galaxy after traveling all the way across the country on short, you know, turnaround. So I, I know it's a loss. I know it hurts. Um, and especially, you know, when they 
came back that many times, but they did still score those goals. And that's, um, you know, uh, we said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better. You're feeling a little bit less better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm going to take that positive uh, from it, you know, that they, they did at least, you know, given all the circumstances, they did at least make a showing of it uh, and and make Laton have to get a hat trick to, you know, secure the win. All right, so you're going silver lining on this one. I'm going. I I just uh, I I'm not I'm not enthused by this game. Um, I'm not enthused by any game you give up four goals. You talked about Earl, and he did have some good saves, had some good moments. Absolutely could have stopped the first Zlatan goal by coming out and taking control of the ball in the air. That was a it was a high cross. He had time to get out there, maybe punch it away. Uh, stayed on his line, decided to, to play it safe, and uh, it cost him. So yeah. uh, I, I would say that he could have played the, the that goal better. Not sure he could have done much on Dos Santos's goal, but I think we did see maybe a hole in Earl's game and that his his lateral quickness may not quite be where it needs to be. Um, you know, uh, there's a reason that he's been on the bench for four years and, and is just now getting his shot, and that's because... The coaches see him in practice. They know his strengths. They know his weaknesses. So maybe that's one of his weaknesses because that was a that was a that first LA goal. I think is a goal that a lot of keepers, eh, maybe not a lot of keepers, but a lot of top-notch keepers like a Robles uh, would maybe get to. It wasn't really hit with a lot of power. Uh, it was well placed, but I, I think that um, if you if he had a good look at it, he maybe should have got to that. So uh, I'm going to say that there's a couple of goals maybe I, I would have liked to have seen him do better on. Uh, but overall, he did uh, face a lot of shots and a lot of good opportunities, and he he stopped most of them. But um, this is not a team that can have a bad performance from anybody uh, or even a mediocre performance from anybody because that right there is the difference between winning and losing games right now. And I thought that um, in the first half, most of the players on the field played well. Um, I thought as the game went on, PC sorted to uh, started to go away. I think Sutter started to go away in his return because he hadn't played in a while and yeah. uh, it's understandable that he was starting to, to drag and I thought he was going to get taken off. But uh, uh, with uh, having to chase the game at that point, um, you know, James O'Connor opted for some offense, although uh, he eventually did get uh, did get Will Johnson back to right back. Um, but I thought he would have come off earlier because he did look like he was dragging earlier in the game to me. I, I was surprised even to see him start the second half um, after being out as long as he was. So uh, it is what it is. Uh, I thought, uh, again, I, I thought that a lot of those guys started the game brightly, including Higuita and Rocha and El Munir at, uh, in the midfield. And I thought as the game went on, they all three of those players faded a bit. Um, and um, and Kleshin as well. Although I, I, for me, Kleshin was man of the match. He was uh, the one pulling the strings. I know he frustrates some people when he doesn't shoot the ball, but um, you know he still made two goals. So uh, you know the, the own goal was completely him. Uh, you know a lot of people said, well, you should have taken that shot. He's a right-footed shot at a bad angle against a pretty good goalkeeper. That's a low percentage opportunity. He's going to pass that. 99 times out of 100, and it, it ended up in a goal. So the right outcome happened from doing the right thing. And uh, then holding the ball, uh, it turned out to be a good move because Igita, he saw Igita making that run. He held it up. Igita made the run. He slipped it in. It was an easier goal. So um, I think question for me was man of the match. How about you? Uh, 
I agree. Uh, Kleshin was man of the match. Although, like you said, uh, you know, I thought Elmanir played well. Uh, Yotun had, uh, you know, a bit of a bounce back from New York. I thought he played better. Um, you know, Dom did Dom. Um, you know, guys had on the ball, but uh, no, uh, Sasha's. You know, like you said, pulling the strings, uh, making um, absolutely, you know, being the field general, um, especially during the first half, uh, is what kept Orlando in that game. So um, yeah, he gets my man in the match as well. I, I thought the only really two poor performances were the two center backs. I thought they had a, they had a number of times when they had opportunities to clear the ball and it didn't either didn't leave the penalty area or it just barely left the penalty area or it went sideways instead of out from the goal. And those are you know MLS center backs need to do better on, in those situations. So I, I didn't think Tarek or Schuler had very good games, and I I would bet that they would say the same. And if that's not the story of Orlando City this year, then nothing is. All right, so there's something that's disturbed me the last two games. Um, I'm wondering if we have another Justin Miram situation on our hands. The last yeah, two games, we talked about it last week. and We have not seen, uh, we still don't see Miram in the 18. He's not even training with the team anymore. Uri Roussel did not dress the last two matches. Uh, I don't know what's going on there, Dave. Um do you know is this a case of another guy who you know is on the way out i i that's a weird one i am i don't know um it's and and if it is a case of he's on his way out is that because uh you know we've we've talked where uh you know higita could be uh, a person of interest for other teams um perhaps O'Connor likes him too much to give him up uh, during the transfer window and, and is sacrificing Yuri instead. Um, it's uh, or, you know, is it just because we've had so many matches in such a short period of time? But, you know, then again, why would he not even be dressed out? So um, I, I don't know. That's a, uh, you know, the, the Miram thing is becoming a bigger thing than we were hoping last week when we spoke. But, uh, yeah, the Rosell, uh, that's, I, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that the defense is, has got enough, uh, enough good players, especially when you're, you're starting PC to not have Yuri there, even though, you know, obviously they play a different position, but it's still, it's still odd. Yeah. When he didn't play on Thursday, I mean, he, his name was one I would have put in pen. I would have put that in ink for, for a Sunday's lineup right? And for starting. And he didn't even dress. So uh, he wasn't on the injury report. Don't really know what happened there. If, if something has been reported, I haven't actually seen it, which you know, I, I, don't, I don't always see everything, but I do try to keep up with the latest news. I haven't been able to get out uh, to training, but uh, they haven't, I think they've trained yet this week anyway. So uh, they may have trained this, this morning. I don't actually know when they got back, but um, it was just strange to me. And yeah, it could be a situation where Aguita is maybe being showcased a little bit to, to trade him or to, to drive up some interest. It may be a case of where somebody's expressed interest in, in Yuri and uh, they don't want to risk him getting hurt. Now it's, it's funny because Portland knew they were going to ship Fernando Addy out, but they still played him the game before he was announced as leaving and he scored a goal. So that's yeah. the way I prefer it. I prefer if you're on my team, you're going to play until you're not on my team anymore. And so this whole situation with Miriam is very odd to me. 
and now uh, we've got maybe a similar situation brewing with Rosell. We're not really sure. If I do get out to training, I certainly am going to ask uh, James O'Connor about that. Uh, see if maybe there's a knock that we're we're not um, privy to, of, yeah. but he was definitely not on the injury report. So, and of course, we've only got what a week left in the transfer window. So, a week left. I'm glad. You know, I, I do want to talk about that because so far this transfer window has consisted of Shane O'Neill and only Shane O'Neill. Uh, team has not addressed some issues like, for example, uh, an apparent uh, impasse with a, a, a very pricey left winger. Um, and yeah. uh, O'Neill, honestly, Dave, I feel like if O'Neill doesn't get a red card with you know less than 10 minutes to play against New York, maybe Orlando City wins that game in L.A. Because if Shane O'Neill played in L.A. the way he had been playing in the previous few games, that back line would have been a lot more sturdy. Absolutely. He's been, you know, like you said, if, if other than going out, I mean, and we even said it during uh, the, I think the takeaways mentioned that, you know, he was playing fantastic right up until he was showing a red. So, uh, and, and has been, he's been a, a bright spot that they brought in and, and um, I agree if, if he's there, maybe, maybe it is different. Yeah. The thing with Shane is that um, it, it's it's an unfortunate thing. His red card was because it was a, of a late challenge. He caught a guy with he caught Morales with a late challenge, and he was late because the dude hadn't played since 2017, and this was his third game in a couple weeks. So, you know, he's not going to have the quickness and the, the jump in the legs. And yeah. it's unfortunate that so many guys were hurt that he had to play that much because it would have been nicer to have been able to maybe rest him. Uh, you know, one of those couple games and then, you know, keep him fresher for this one. But, um, you know, it's just uh, if he could have just saw out the last uh, eight minutes of that match, um, you know, maybe the L.A. game goes a little bit differently. But you're, you're right. He was he was maybe Orlando's man of the match. Uh, prior to getting sent off, and maybe that's mm -hmm. uh, how RJ wins that one by default. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't know. I haven't heard any rumors. Um, I haven't seen much. Um, is anything going to happen in this transfer window? If it doesn't, I don't think much of Orlando City's chances uh, to get this thing turned around because other than Dom, you know, there's not a lot of offensive firepower out there. Pino seems to have been a guy who hasn't been able to elevate his game to the MLS level, at least not yet. Um, right. Uh, you know, you've got a young designated player that's struggling to get on the field. And when he does get on the field, he's not doing a whole lot. I know I, I still see a lot of people saying Coleman needs more time at the number 10. He has not shown me that he can play the number 10 position and all of the highlight reels that I've seen on him. He's, he's doing all this good stuff from the wings. So yeah. from what I've seen, he's, He's not a number 10. The only person that's actually called him a number 10 is not on the technical staff. And it's Alex Leitao. Um, if they, I mean, they gave him the number 10, so presumably he's he can play that position maybe, but he's obviously not beating out Sasha Kleshton in, that, you know, in training for that. And nope. I'm not seeing a whole lot of sharpness from him on the field. Now, granted, he's he's playing sporadically, so that's going to add, you know, add to that. But he's a teenager and that's what teenagers do. That's what teenagers look like when they step in to a higher level and they're, you know, playing, you know, in a foreign country and having to adjust and all these other things. It's not it's not unheard of. I mean, Barco has been a little bit better for Atlanta, but they're basically having the same issues with him there uh, as not quite not quite translating into what they thought they bought. 
but I'm willing to be patient and give give the kid time. But he's he's not adding to the offense right now. Obviously, Justin Merrill's not adding to the offense right now because he's not even trading with the team. Um, so where's the offense going to come from? Chris Mueller uh, has kind of hit the rookie wall a little bit and didn't uh, didn't get to play in L.A., which I actually would have liked him to have been the first sub, but yeah, uh, he wasn't. Cause I thought, you know, if LA's defense had been kind of a mess and he's got that motor and he's going to just be relentless and he's got fresh jump in his legs because he, you know, he's, he's not played yet in the game. You know, maybe you bring him on at the hour mark and give him 30 minutes and just say, run your legs off, man. Go, go get us. <laughs> I mean, I would have liked to have seen that, but I mean, even Mueller had three goals in what a four game span yeah. and, hasn't produced anything since then. So the offense is not there. And I know people are like, well, we need center backs. We have center backs. They just need to freaking heal. Yeah. You know, I mean, what are you going to have nine center backs on the roster? You can't do that. No. So. Yeah. If Orlando doesn't go out and get some offensive firepower of some sort, uh, I will be highly upset with this transfer window because that would be a clear, um, clear lack of awareness of what needs to be going on, let alone, you know, just not, you know, not addressing a need like that when it's so apparent to us and we don't get paid to do this. If, if they don't do that, that's, that's huge. And they have to really decide. I mean, if they're not going to use Merrim, they need to get what they can for him and not just try to hold on for the best deal or try to get what they paid for him back. Because, if you're admitting this didn't work and you've made a mistake, you have to move on from that mistake. You have because to say, okay, we've already decided he's not playing for us anymore. Get what you can. Someone's going to give you something for him because he yeah. is a, a, a player that people want and have wanted around the league. And there's a need for him in, on other teams, especially teams that are on the bubble and are looking for one player to push him over the top. Um, there's a market for him. It may not be what you paid for him, but get what you can so that you can free up the cap space, do whatever you need to do to make the other move to bring in someone who will help you because it's just dead weight. And we see it all the time in this league that players that you thought would work out don't work out for whatever reason. I mean, Seattle just parted ways with an international player that they brought in, had high hopes for, and and, and he didn't pan out. And I think someone else earlier in the year also did the same thing with another international Um it doesn't always work out. Or Uri Rossell may arguably not be working out here. Um, move on. Turn the right. page. Because we're paying a lot of money for a guy that's not dressing out right now. <laughs> that's right. And and if you look at Rossell and Merrim's salaries together and they're not making the 18, you got an issue. And that's, uh, you know, I think everybody, I, I think I, I'm confident in saying that all Orlando City fans or most Orlando City fans were fairly excited given the roster we started the season with. And I know I was. We spoke about it early. I mean, go back and listen. We we were very happy with uh, how the off season went as far as you know the acquisitions. But uh, if you know if 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 you swung and missed, at least you swung, and it's time to swing again because you know a week left in the transfer window, and uh, you know the, the 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 margin below the line is growing instead of shrinking, and. Um, Running out of time. And if you went all in on this season like they pretty much did, uh, you're about to go bust. You're, but, you know, you, you can't hit on 20. <laughs> you know? No. <laughs> so, anyway, um, 
we'll see what happens by the time we talk next week. We'll know if any moves were made in this transfer window other than Shane O'Neill. And I, and I think early returns, small sample size, but it looks like Shane O'Neill was a good pickup. I'm liking it so far. All right, Dave. So the Pride were off, but they had a tournament of nations that is underway. And uh, this tournament is indeed of nations. There are nations in this tournament. And one of those is the United States uh, hosting the event for the second year in a row. Japan, Australia, Brazil are the other teams. Pride players galore. Uh, Pride players on every team except Japan. So the U.S. opened with Japan. And uh, they got a big victory, uh, 4-2. Didn't play particularly well defensively. But um, the Pride's Alex Morgan... She can score goals, and she scored three of them in that opening game. Yeah, a hat trick for Morgan. Um, it, it seemed like uh, every time you you looked up, uh, if if you were if you had the game on the background, every time you looked up, it was Alex scoring another another goal, which was really nice to see. Um, and uh, it's funny that um, you know. U.S. Women's National Team is number one in the world, and yet it still feels like maybe they're not as good as they were previously. And I think that that's probably true. Uh, how much of that has to do with Ellis or who she's bringing up or when she's bringing them in or any of that stuff, I don't know. But um, they're f- they've been they fortunately found a way to win that one once again. Uh, a big credit goes to uh, Alex and. Um, you know, she's, she's what, six, 16 or however many in her last almost the same amount of uh, matches for the women's team. Yeah, great 2018 for Alex, and she's up to 89 career international goals. So she's she's hunting that 100-goal uh, mark, which uh, has been done, I think, by, I want to say, six players in U.S. history. There's been a lot of goal scorers in U.S. history. Um, but... Uh, you know, getting the win over Japan was good. Then the uh, the team played against Australia, and Australia won this event last year, basically mm-hmm. because uh, because the Aussies beat the U.S. one nil. Uh, they came into this game and they were very difficult to break down. Um, scored the first goal on a on a wicked counterattack where you saw a rare mistake by Becky Sauerbrunn, another mistake by Abby Dahlkemper, uh, allowing uh, you know. Chloe Lagarzo to get in behind and uh, score an easy first goal. But the U.S. just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. Never, it was a weird game because you'd never, I, I've not seen Megan Rapino look that bad at yeah. times. And she had a very odd game because she, she probably had the most moments in the game where you went, oh, that was terrible. And also the most moments of the game where you said, Wow, that was that was some move, and it was crazy because she'd do something great and then something bad would happen. It, it was, it, and on, her set piece delivery was off. You know, her dead ball delivery was not as good as it normally is. Uh, but the team kept coming, they kept firing, they kept getting chances, and uh, just at the death of uh, normal time, finally Rapino gets a good cross into the box on a corner kick, and Lindsey Horan puts it in, makes it one-one. And uh, so we've still got us quite a bit of soccering left to go in this tournament of nations with one match left uh, to play. The, uh, the U S will be playing Brazil. Australia will be playing Japan and uh, it's going to come down to who can, 
who can win and maybe win the goal differential battle because everything's all even right now. The U.S. Uh, is ahead on a goals scored um, differential because they have scored one more goal than Australia has uh, by scoring four against Japan. Australia scored three against Brazil. Brazil got themselves in the conversation with a win over Japan mm-hmm. uh, that was led by Marta scoring the first goal in a tight nil-nil game. She scored uh, late in the second half, and then they tacked one on in stoppage time, um, or tacked one on late, and then Japan scored the stoppage time to, to avoid the shutout, but it was right. 2-1 to Brazil. So Brazil's in three points, uh, the U.S. and Australia on four points apiece. Japan is out uh, as far as uh, being eliminated. And um, it really comes down to Brazil and the U.S. That's going to be a huge game because both of those teams are still in it. And Australia is going to try to put a whooping on Japan to get a, a big, as big a goal differential as they can. Because if they can win that game. And, and Japan's not, they're not a great team, but they sometimes are a difficult team. So it's kind of hard to score lots of goals on them unless the game's very open, kind of like the U.S. Like played the them. U.S., yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, it's Australia's not going to make the same defensive mistakes that that the U.S. did, uh, probably. I mean, you can't count on it. So um, the U.S. has to go after Brazil, and Brazil came pretty close to winning that game last year in this event because they they scored some early goals and forced the U.S. to play from behind. Yeah, and uh, of course, it, it's going to be an exciting uh, night, uh, day, night um, of soccer because, like you said, there's three teams that are in it. Uh, you add in that we're there's pride players all over the place, um, and especially we're going to have a little uh, pride on pride uh, with the U.S. versus Brazil. Um, in the previous game, Marta, of course, scored a goal and also, I believe, had the assist on the other goal. Um, so doing what she does. And um, it's God, it'll be interesting to see uh, how the U.S. you know is able to um, deal with her. And then, uh, on the, on the flip side, you know, if I think if Rapino can get back to her usual form and, it, and it's funny, you know, when you said that she did some bad things and she did some good things and, you know, I guess we're usually only used to seeing her doing mostly good things mm-hmm. so, so that even though she did good things, we, we noticed the bad things more. And it was like I was watching that match going, gosh, Pino's not having a very good match. And it wasn't until I went back and looked and went, oh, yeah, OK, she did some some good stuff. But it just it didn't feel like uh, how she usually is. Mm-hmm. And it might have been like you said, it may have been because of, uh, you know, set piece delivery that usually she's better on. And that's, um, you know, that's usually where. She's she's providing really good uh, balls in for Alex and, and and anybody else that's on you know uh, playing up top. So um, I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, there I, were other moments, but she she missed a, a good scoring chance really badly, like missed the net by like 15 yards. Yeah, on one. yeah was, She had this other move where she she made an unbelievable cutback move to free herself up for a shot, and uh, I think she shot that one right at Lydia Williams, but. Um, uh, it was just a really one of those wow movements because she had two defenders on her and made just like a simple cutback. It was the, the sharpness of the cut just completely threw both Australian players off and they mm-hmm. couldn't recover. And she freed herself up for the shot. She had a lot of those moments. And then, you know, she'd make a great move to get by one player and then stumble or just like seemingly over nothing. 
um, like just lose her footing a few times. She she had tr- some trouble in traffic a few times like that. But um, yeah, it was overall. In the end, the uh, the U.S. did enough to fight back. Australia, a very confident team. They know how to play the U.S. They're not afraid of the U.S. and they played like it. And um, you know, just a good thing that the the defense for the most part was all over Sam Kerr, which is good because when you play Australia, you got to be all over Sam Kerr because oh, yeah. uh, she can hurt you. Um, and sometimes that can lead to other pe- players being open. I know that um, there was a good opportunity for Haley Rosso, I think, had one. And, um, uh, you know, there were a couple other uh, players that had some good opportunities as a result of paying a lot of attention to Sam Kerr. But luckily, in the end, a 1-1 draw. The tournament of nations still all up for grabs later this week. And then uh, then the, the players get to go back to their NWSL teams. And Tom Sermani has already said he expects his pride stars to come back from that tournament and be available for Sunday against Sky Blue at Orlando City Stadium. So that's going to be uh, interesting. I would imagine that, um, you know, most of those internationals may start on the bench uh, maybe a couple of them will start if they, you know, if they feel fresh enough. I know some of the some of the Brazilians haven't seen as many minutes. Camilla hasn't seen as many. Uh, Poliana hasn't seen as many. So uh, and then maybe somebody like um, Monica could could play. And of course, Ashlyn Harris hasn't seen any minutes, so she'll be <laughs> she'll be back. And uh, you know, I think maybe Morgan starts on the bench and, and she's fresh for the second half of that game. So that's uh, some good news. And, um, you know, sky blue is a winless team, but winless teams can be dangerous teams because they got nothing left to lose and they're desperate for a win. So, uh, the pride need that game. It's a must win game because every point is so precious in this very, very tight NWSL race. So we'll be, uh, back to next week. We'll talk about the, tournament of nations how how it shook out and we'll also talk about the pride against sky blue uh dave but we've got a game saturday before that sunday game with the pride we've got a saturday game orlando city will host the new england revolution and uh it's weird because it's an eastern conference team and here it is uh, august uh, it's going to be you know august we're, we're we're recording this on the last day of july uh we have not yet seen the new england revolution this year so uh, we need to know a little bit about that team, and we've got just the right person to talk to. We're going to bring in our special guest right after this. All right, joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week, happy to have with us from the Bent Musket, uh, very tired Jake Catneys. Jake, how you doing, man? Um, hold on, wait, wait. Is it is it the Mainland Podcast, or is it the Mainland podcast yeah i mean you can you can pronounce it however you want you know with your your new england uh style of speaking we won't understand it anyway how dare you how's it going (laughs) it's going it's going uh well i don't know if you've been keeping up with the standings but it's not going real well down here (laughs) i i you know what um i still think over the last oh i don't know three months I still have a feeling you guys have been catching us. I can't, I can't prove that, but I still have a feeling you've been getting closer. I think I can unequivocally prove that we have not. <laughs> Three points out of our last potential 39 points. Uh, that's not good for anybody. But uh, I want to talk about things that have not yet come to pass rather than 
the horrific things that have already come to pass. So uh, why don't we start out with uh, the revolution, of course, Orlando City and the Revs getting together this weekend. And, um, you know, New England is not, I think, or at least, you know, granted, recent fortunes haven't been as good as, as we're used to here. But I think New England has surprised quite a few people around uh, the country this year with uh, being in contention early, uh, being above the line much of the uh, the first half, and, um, you know, especially in the wake of, of what happened with Lee Wynn. So uh, can you just kind of give us a synopsis of uh, the Revs' season to date? Because we haven't seen you guys all year. You know, one of these years we're actually going to figure out if New England is actually good at soccer. <laughs> I I am almost I am almost positive I have said this probably to you guys before. Uh, I do not think the New England Revolution are bad at soccer. The question I have is I don't know just how good they could be. Um, currently, I think it's six in the standings now, um, dropping a little bit, three game losing streak. Um, only two wins in their last like ten. Um, but of those two wins, like there was a seven-game unbeaten streak. It was two wins and five draws, but it was still a seven-game unbeaten streak, which isn't really bad. But you know, mixed in there was you know dropping a two-goal lead in Vancouver, um, you know, not getting a few points at, at home because you're playing some teams, um, you know, Seattle and LA that you know aren't supposed to be as good. You really needed to win those games. Um, losing at Minnesota, um, you know, these are games where, you know, New England, who has a very, very difficult schedule coming up now, most of their games the rest of the way are going to be on the road. Um, and, you know, New England hasn't exactly proven to be a great road team over the last few years. They've been better this year. Um, they were dismal last year. Um, but still just, you know, I think one win on the road still, um, in nine games is not a great uh, record, uh, and and the defense has still been inconsistent. So a lot of the same problems still exist for New England. Um, Brad Friedel's style has has certainly changed the way they might play, uh, but it's still a lot of uh, you know very the same inconsistencies from not only game to game, but just inconsistencies, particularly in defense. Um, rotating out players, injuries, things like that. So it, it's hard to say exactly where New England stands right now, if, if they are a playoff team or not, I, I think is irrelevant. Uh, what I don't think they are is I don't think they're a contender um, past the top maybe three teams. Uh, you know, New England, Montreal, uh, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, you know, Orlando, those teams are all fighting for the last couple spots for the end of the wild card berths. Um, but most of the time, I'm going to think those teams are going to be one done. Uh, you're going to play a road game against someone who's significantly better than you, uh, and you're just not going to go in, on the road and win that game um, in November. And I think that's really where New England and their fans want to be. They, they want to think that they're a playoff team. They want to think they're a contender. And I don't think being a, a five or six seed and a one and done team qualifies as that. Well, you guys are lucky in one respect, at least for the moment, you uh, you are above the line and uh, you're heading into uh, Orlando City where uh, we are well below the line. So you, you've got that going for you. Um, 
what uh, other than obviously trying to get a uh, uh, three points this weekend, does uh, New England need to do uh, the rest of the season to, to stay above the red line? The biggest problem New England has right now is somehow um, a, a season-ending injury to, to Chris Tierney who tours ACL um, a couple months ago has been a tremendous problem. Um, Chris Tierney was not going to be the starting left back going into this year. It's supposed to be Gabriel Somi. Um, Somi started off okay and uh, turned south. He, he has not adjusted well to the league. Um, this, he's a Syrian international, uh, also a dual national of Sweden. That's where he was playing when we acquired him. Um, and that injury has forced uh, usual center back Claude Dielna to play left back more often. And it's just been a problem. Uh, New England's defense has always uh, been a work in progress the last couple of years. A lot of new guys, a lot of you know expensive guys. Uh, Claude Dielna is a designated player. Um, Jalila Anibaba has been getting a lot of minutes, which he's thoroughly deserved at center back. Um, and so it, it's been a, it's been a difficult process when you think like, you know, how can your season unravel with the injury to, you know, guy who was supposed to be a backup. Uh, but it's been, it, it's been an issue and that's something where New England really hasn't uh, adjusted or recovered from that. I think if I go back to even that, that winless or not that winless streak, the, uh, seven-game unbeaten streak. That was around when Tierney got injured. Um, sometime, I think it was in May. So the last couple months, you know, New England just hasn't been winning games. Um, they've been scoring goals. They've been getting draws. But they haven't been closing out games. And part of that, I think, is just the defense is just not really equipped um, to defend for long stretches. This is a team that's, that wants to get out on the counter. Um, it wants to break out. But when you have to sit back and pack it in, they're just not equipped to do that right now. And I don't know if that's the style or if that's the personnel. Um, but if New England is going to be a team that will stay above the red line, which right now I'm not sure that's a guarantee, um, they have to figure out how to do that. And they've got to figure out how to do that very quickly. And they're going to have to learn how to do that on the road. And that's, uh, I think, going to be, you know, a challenge. And, and we'll have to see, you know, how that plays out the rest of the way. Um, I think they've got, 13 games left and I think nine of them are on the road. Um, you know, so that's going to be, you know, a very, very tough task. They're going to stay above the red line. Uh, Philadelphia is a lot closer and, you know, Toronto's still, you know, back there, not all that far behind. And I know they've been a mess, but certainly they have the ability to certainly catch uh, new England. If new England is going to be able to close out any games on the road. You talked a little bit about the style of play. What has Brad Friedel brought to the Revolution's uh, game this year? Uh, well, under Jay Heaps, I always sort of thought New England should counter more. Um, what New England used to do was basically get the ball into your final third and ping it around all the time and just not do a whole lot with it. And now New England has sort of done the opposite. They sort of hang out with the ball more in the midfield, but they... Uh, break out far more aggressively and get into the final third on the run. Uh, this means you have guys like Diego Fagundes, Christian Pena, um, attacking players on the ball in 2v2, 3v3 type situations and generating chances um, basically on counters. Not always through turnovers, but just far more quicker to develop um, plays. And at it, some time, almost too quickly, where New England 
and their defense win the ball back. And then 15 seconds later, they're already playing defense again. And that's sort of the issue of the revolution being unbalanced. Uh, The defense is having issues because they're not equipped to handle defensively for long stretches. And the offense does not help them by keeping the damn ball sometimes. (laughs) And it's, it's a twofold problem because the offense really works sometimes. And it's really, really fun. The downside is, is that when it's not working, there hasn't been a plan B. You know, Diego Fagundes is really great on the counter as the attacking midfielder, the cam roll, the playmaker. Um, he struggled a little bit de- creating things on his own from the run of play, um, from the buildup, meaning New England is in the attacking half of the field. They are in possession. Now what do you do? Uh, you know, Christian Pena has been great. On the left-hand side, he's been able to take people on. He's an absolute speed demon, and we love him. But there always seems to be – there needs to be something else, um, you know, that New England has done. Um, I was looking somewhere earlier. I don't think um, the New England strikers, that tandem, uh, Teal Bunbury, uh, Christian Nemeth, uh, it's been several uh, weeks uh, since those guys have scored as a unit. Um, and that's another problem where, you know, you really need, you know, Teal Bunbury was on a tear a couple months ago, uh, double digit goals in the golden boot race. And that pace has slowed down. And, and when that pace is slowing down, New England has started to not win games. Um, so they need, they need to get the strikers back and involved, um, on the offense. And that means that, you know, they're cleaning up, you know, chances or they're, they're finding, finding space on the counter. Uh, to finish off uh, goals, and, and those just haven't been developing. Whether that teams have started to figure out New England, or Brad Friel hasn't been able to make adjustments, I don't know. Um, because again, I, I don't think New England is necessarily bad. I just don't know how much better they are than fifth or sixth in the standings. So it's been a mixed bag, um, particularly recently. Um, but if you know New England had closed out a couple of extra games, you wouldn't be right above the red line, you'd probably be closer to Columbus than you would be closer to Orlando. Now, looking ahead to, to the, the match, um, you mentioned that New England's had some defensive problems. Uh, Orlando City, City was able to score uh, three goals in their last match against the uh, Galaxy, even though it ended up being a loss. Um, you know, that's that's still some, some decent offense from them. Um Looking at uh, the Orlando City offense uh, versus New England defense, where where do you where do you find the matchups are you know a good one way or the other? I mean, if if Sasha Kleshin is just going to you know dominate the midfield, if the New England holding mids, you know Scott Caldwell, uh, Wilfred Zahibo, Luis Caicedo, whoever is in the holding midfield, if if you're letting Sasha Kleshin control the midfield, uh, you're doing something wrong. And I think that for an LA Galaxy team who's playing three at the back, you're just inviting someone like Sasha Kleshin to just tear you up. Um, and uh, I don't know if he specifically did uh, against against the LA Galaxy. I think he had at least one assist. Um, but I, I think from a matchup standpoint, um, you've got to figure out a way how to shut down Kleshin, and in particular, not let Kleshin get the ball to Dwyer. Um, if Dwyer's going to, you know, get crosses and, and head the ball in, things like that, 
I think that's fine. I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay if if that's how Orlando is going to get goals. Um, you obviously want to stay away from some of the set piece situations. New England struggles with that a little bit, but ideally, I think New England with uh, a similar formation four two three one in the mirror matchup will be a little bit better um, to handle question in the middle um, and LA. I think LA should be doing better at that. You've got Perry Kitchen and one of the Dos Santos brothers uh, in the center of midfield. So I think between the two of them, you should be able to dominate the middle of the field. And somehow LA is just weird. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, that game didn't make any sense. A lot of MLS games don't make a lot of sense this year because MLS. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily think LA is a benchmark for what Orlando and England are going to do because there's no Zlatan as well. Um, Thank God. And that's yeah, that's ju- I, that's just not fair, really. Uh, Zlatan does not come to New England. He does not play on turf, as most high-priced designated players just don't do in MLS. Um, I know Ibrahimovic is a TAM player technically, but really we all know, like we all know that he's really should be a DP, and it's just rigged. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know. It, these games have always, you know, bugged me. Orlando City to me has always sort of been a little bit of a what I call the mirror match. Normally, I complain that when we play Columbus, it's basically just a dogfight. Um, a lot of fouls, a lot of change of possessions, not a lot of great soccer. Um, I think this game might be far more open than games have been in the past, um, but it, it's not necessarily going to be any different. It's just going to be really a matter of if New England starts breaking out early. Do they score? Are they attempting to protect the lead for the rest of the game? Or will New England, uh, you know, be trying to, you know, fight back? Um, and that's not something New England's really been doing great on on the road. Um, they've been able to score early, and they just have not been able to hold on to leads. So if New England is getting out early, um, they need to keep the pressure up on the offensive side, meaning, hey, we've scored a goal. Let's not sit back and play defense. Let's try and get a second goal. And if it leads to Orlando scoring and tying the game, that's fine. We're still playing the way that we normally have played and how we've been successful. Um, And on the road, that's what New England has really been struggling to do for not just under Bradfield, but just for years. Um, They don't close out games very well. Um, They blow a ton of leads, uh, leads that honestly they should not not be losing. I think they're, you know, two game, two goals up in, in Vancouver this year. It was three goals up in Seattle last year. Uh, these are just points you just you just can't drop. Um, you know, you've gone all the way out on the West Coast. You've gone all the way down to Orlando. Um, you know, you have these leads. You, you need to make sure that you hold on to them, and you need to get three points uh, and cement your place above the red line, which right now I'm not sure New England is, is going to do that. All right, Jake, before we let you get out of here, a couple quick questions for you. The first of these is Justin Miram for Juan Agadello. Do you like that? Do you not like that? Can we make this deal right here on the podcast? Um, I would not say no to Justin Miram. I wouldn't necessarily do it for Juan Agadello. Um, I'm not sure. The other problem, I don't think you guys want Christian Namath, which is really, I think, the player who New England would want to move. Um. I don't know how many minutes Namus has played this year, but it hasn't been a lot. Um, and he's making about a million dollars, which is not helpful for New England. Um, Pure team uh, only has like, you know, $6 million on the payroll, something like that. 
and Namath is 15% of that, and he's got one goal in however many minutes, that's not not helpful. Um, so I'd, I'd rather keep Aguidelo. I know you guys want him. I would not say no to, to Justin Miram. I don't know why Miram keeps getting traded because um, he's really, really good. And I enjoy him. Um, I would certainly take him in New England, but I would rather give him up for uh, Namath. And if I have to send you guys some Garber bucks to make that deal happen, to cover the salary switch or something, I would not be against that. Um, but I also don't know, you know, I don't know how often, you know, if if, if Miram's going to be a full-time starter. New England's been sort of rotating out who plays the other wings. Usually Ben Fagundes in the middle, Pania on the left, and a rotating group of Aguidelo, Rowe, Nemeth, Caicedo, whoever else is on the right-hand wing. And uh, maybe Miram is that person. I, I don't know. Um, if, if it happens, I would not be upset. Um, but I'd rather I'd rather keep Juan Aguidelo. All right. Well, you know, we don't want Nemeth because, uh, well... We've already got strikers that can't score behind Dom Dwyer. We need other guys that can score. <laughs> um, but that's that's good. At least we we had this discussion. We're 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 in, we're negotiating. Yes. Well, that, and you know what? That's, look, I think what happens is if if, if Miram's on the trading block, and for all intents and purposes, I guess he is. And I guess has he been starting full time in Orlando? Uh, he has not been in the eighteen for the last three games. Okay, but before that, he was playing a lot, mostly, right? Yeah, yeah, he was playing a lot uh, before the coaching change, and I believe he's played one game since the coaching change. Ah, okay, so you sacked sacked Kreese. Yeah, yeah, Kreese was fired, and and then Miram uh, played against LAFC, should have scored, or should have had a game-tying assist. It was, uh, we got proed on, um, overturned by VAR, which um, was not clear or obvious of an error. So we're kind of still bent about that a little bit. But, um, you know, they go on to lose the game by three goals instead of being tied with 20 minutes to play. And uh, then we don't see Miram. Miram's ghosted, and now he's training with Eddie Johnson on his own somewhere. So uh, it's been a very strange situation. Well, the uh, – what is the trade window close in – Technically a week. Yeah, yeah, it's not not far off here. So, you know, well, for you and I are going to make this deal. We got to get it done. So I'll, we'll talk more off offline about it. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> might we might have to. Uh, I might have to follow up with uh, who was this? Send me those questions, Logan. I might have to send Logan that and go. All right, you guys, Mir wants to be traded. Citro wants uh, wants Juan Aguidelo. I don't want to give him up. Who else do you want from the Rebs? <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Uh, final question before we let you go, Jake. Uh, what do you see? It's a two-part question. What do you see okay. as the key matchup of this game, and uh, and uh, what's your scoreline prediction? All right. My first question is: uh, Do you guys trust whoever your right back is? Uh, way more so than whoever our left back is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you don't like, if you don't like your, your left back, um, keep an eye again, Christian Pania. If Christian Pania is on the left-hand side and he gets annoyed, the revolution will put him on the right-hand side. And then whoever is your left back will have to deal with him. Um, Christian Pania has been a, one of, I think the most underrated and best offseason moves, um, in the entire league. The problem is, is that because he plays in New England, I don't think anyone is aware that this has happened. 
that he is, you know, a borderline, you know, cam player. He's making a few hundred thousand dollars, and uh, he's really, really good. And we love him in New England. And somehow he's not going to the All Star game. And Wilfred Zahibo is. All right. We still haven't quite figured that part out, but I digress. Um, so yeah, so if you're not really thrilled with with your fullback situation. Um, if he starts moving around, just be very, very wary on the counters. He will get behind. He will cause a lot of problems. If uh, your fullbacks are pushing up high, uh, New England's going to take advantage of that. Likewise, uh, New England's fullbacks like to push up high, and we like to give the ball away in bad spots. Um, so if um, – I think it's uh, – is it Yoshi Yotun? Mm-hmm. Yep. If, if, if Yoshi is breaking out on his wing – that means that New England has done something bad. So that's sort of the matchup that you're going to want to watch is sort of the, the wingers versus the fullbacks. If the fullbacks are up high, there's going to be a lot of counters. The game's going to be very open. If everyone's sitting back and being not soccering, uh, it's going to be one of those weird, God, how are we playing soccer-type games? Um, so we'll have to we'll have to sort of see. Um, I hope that everyone's not afraid, and they are pushing up, and the game is open and kind of fun, even if it's not enjoyable for anyone because it's just – the same problems that I think we're both having is that God, we're just such a mess uh, defensively. And your score prediction? As always, there's only one score prediction. This is the eternal 2-2 draw derby that I don't think has been a 2-2 draw for a couple of years, but still, that doesn't matter. Uh, 2-2 draw. I'm not upset by the the scoreline this time, but New England needs wins, not draws. I know it's a road point. Road points are great, but New England's got a ton of road games left. Uh, Road points are not going to get it done. We need road wins. Uh, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure today sets up well, or this weekend sets up well for a win. And I know it's Orlando. I'm like, I, I don't trust you guys either. Um, but <laughs> I don't. I, de- yeah, I don't. I definitely don't trust us unless we just unless we drop four goals on you guys, um, which is possible. But I'm just I'm looking at it going like, no, no, not after last week. It was a bad game. New England played uh, against the Red Bulls. I don't. I don't have a ton of. Uh, the confidence they're going to break the losing streak they might get a point but i don't i don't see a win all right jake where can people find you on these here newfangled intar webs that oh, the kids uh, are so fond of these days well occasionally i i do post things at the bent musket it's not often um so you can find me bentmusket.com um at jcadenace43 on twitter uh when i'm awake which is not very often i work midnight chips and a ton of overtime, so uh, you know I'm I'm actually probably gonna go have a snack and go back to bed because I have to work in four hours. Um, but yeah, you always always on the any revs hashtag, uh, usually disgruntledly so, but uh, <laughs> it's fun. We would we wouldn't change anything for the world. All right, Jake. Jake Katniss from the Bent Musket. Thank you so much for your return appearance here on the Mainland Podcast, oh, and uh, we'll sure. uh, we'll talk to you again in the future. Always, guys. All right. Big thanks to Jake Katniss for uh, taking time out of his uh, the few minutes he gets to sleep and, uh, and being with us to talk about the New England Revolution because it's hard to believe we have not played against that team yet this year. But uh, it's good. Always good information from Jake. Big thanks to him for coming on. Dave, let's get to our mailbag we've got some uh, some emails you can ask us anything in one of two ways you can hit us up on the uh the email by uh writing to the mainland at gmail.com the other way you can do that is you can hit us up on uh twitter 
our Twitter account is at the mainland. Hit us up with the hashtag AskTMLPC. So hashtag AskTMLPC. You can ask us literally anything. Anything. Like our friend Lee, good friend of the program. Lee has emailed us again this week. He wants to know, Dave, if you could have, uh, could keep only one. If you're in charge of the Pride roster, you can keep only one of the international players, meaning the Brazilians and Australians in this case, for the remainder of the season and beyond. Who would it be? We're excluding Marta because that would probably be too easy, he says. Yeah, that definitely would be the easy choice. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Pollyanna. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I, just because I, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of depth that we haven't hit there yet, and uh, she's young, she's hungry, and uh, I, I like having her on that that end of the field. So yeah, for me, it's Pollyanna. All right, I am, uh, I have a very easy answer to this question. Uh, Camilla is definitely my choice here. Uh, I remember how good she was last year, and I think she uh, has not reached her full potential and she although she's had trouble this year uh getting going coming back from the knee injury i believe that by season's end she'll be she'll be hitting on all cylinders and i, I think there's just a lot of uh, a lot of upside there to camilla so uh so brazilians from both of us yes yes and that's nothing against uh, any of the others i think that no. i certainly don't think that um that alana kennedy has played uh her best soccer this year for the pride i think that she played very well at center back for the australians in this tournament so far and i also think that emily van eggman has really shown her full potential as a midfielder for her country that has not translated yet to the pride but i think she she still has uh you know i think that i don't know if it's tactical or what it is but i think she certainly is a player that uh, could give more and, um, you know, I, to be honest, I'll be honest with you. I'm a little disappointed. I thought we'd get more from Poliana than what we've seen. And I've, I'm not convinced that Monica is physical enough uh, to play NWSL center back. So I think Camilla was an easy second, uh, an easy second choice behind Marta for me. So thank you, Lee, for the question. Appreciate that. Uh, another question via the email channels, you know, the, the stuff that you're your mom and dad used to do, kids, uh, is email. Now that you do all the <laughs> texting and the social media. Uh, Luke, this is a first-time emailer, I think. Uh, what would you think about Orlando City signing someone like Graham Zussi? I think it could be a big upgrade as we're a little light on capable fullbacks, wings, as shown by PC's horrendous performance by New York City FC. <laughs> also, Zussi is very flexible, and he can play many positions. Uh, what are your thoughts on Graham Zussi, Dave? Uh, you know, at this point, uh, I'll take any help back there we can get. Um, so I, I would rather it be somebody maybe a little bit younger than a Graham Susie. But uh, like I say, that's uh, when 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 your house is on fire and somebody brings a bucket of water, you go ahead and take it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Sporting Kansas City's not wanting to part with Graham Susie. Uh, at this time, but if they were to come a call in uh, and say, hey, you know, you, you're not really using that Miram guy, I'd say, okay, let's do it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, he certainly would be um, a player that uh, would, would do a good job. And, and like you mentioned, a, a number of uh, different ways that he could be used. So uh, I'm not convinced he's a top-notch fullback, but, um, you know, 
we don't exactly have any of those right now ourselves. So. Yeah, and, and he'll tend to play on the right. So I think you're, I think if you looked at Orlando City's fullbacks and said who's the best one, I think you probably most people say Scott Sutter, and yep. you don't want to sit Scott Sutter. So uh, probably not a great fit at this time for Zusi, um, but. Uh, I would take him on the right wing in the fortunate part. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, thanks uh, for the email, Luke. Uh, let's see who else we've got. Uh, we have a, a friend of the podcast, Ryan Smith, has uh, emailed us. This is a question right up your alley, Dave. Uh-huh. All right, so he says, in the stadium, Heineken reigns supreme, but for those televised away games, what's in your glass? Favorite away game viewing experience you've ever had? So there's uh, two questions here. What's in your glass, and what's the favorite away game viewing experience you've ever had? All right, so um, what's in my glass is unfortunately something that most of the listeners are not going to be able to get as of now, and that's a local uh, Tallahassee brew uh, from Proof Brewing. Uh, their IPA called La La Land, which is uh, an outstanding beverage. Uh, I I can't even get it in can. I've got to go get it in Growler. But that would be uh, if I get a choice. That's going to be it. Um, favorite away game viewing experience. Um, now, are we talking just soccer or anything? I, I think he's talking about Orlando City. About Orlando City. Okay. Um, well, um, for me, it's gonna have to be um, it, it's gonna have to be a, one that I hosted here at the house when I had a, a bunch of people over. Some who were uh, Orlando City fans, some uh, who were not soccer fans at all. But you know, I convinced to come anyway. And um, I, God help me, it was it's a year or two ago now, so I can't remember what match it was because I was busy being a host, but, um, but I enjoyed it because I got to, you know, I got to share something I'm passionate about, uh, with, uh, with friends of mine. So that would, that, that would be it for me. Yeah. Oh, first I have to take issue with Ryan. Uh, even though they're a sponsor, I don't think that Heineken reigns supreme in the stadium. No. Yeah. Um, I think there are better beers to drink in the stadium, but, uh, including, I think crooked cans in there. They are uh, in and, there. Uh, and I would pr- put basically anything that Crooked Can makes ahead of Heineken. Um, no offense, Heineken. I know if, if, if you want to sponsor us, Heineken, I will say whatever you want we me will to say. About s- your I'll, I'll even, I'll even <laughs> drink one of your beers. Um, as for what's in my gl- uh, glass uh, for away games, well, t- here's the problem. Typically, I'm working on away games, and I'm writing, and I'm not usually <laughs> having a cold, cold one usually, but uh, that usually comes after the game, so I'm, I'm not usually drinking something. But I I have a tendency to just continuously try different craft beers, and I, I don't tend to drink a lot of the same thing. And if I'll, I'll have – if I like something, you know, I'll have it again at some point, but I'm, I'm – I'm rarely do I drink two beers in a row that are the same beer unless someone else has bought it and it's at a party or something. So uh, like this past week, uh, for example, we stopped into the Deviant Wolf um, brewery in Sanford, which had a, a really nice, uh, you know, it was a quick stop. So only had one beer. It was very good. I don't even remember what, what the name of it was, but it was, it was quite tasty. Um, and uh, you know, that's what I generally do is I'll, 
uh, like even when I go to the store, I'll buy us, I'll buy, I'll do a build your own six pack and get six different things. So it's, it's kind of hard to say what's in my glass because it's never the same thing. Um, my favorite way game viewing experience I've ever had. Well, again, I'm usually in my den with the laptop open <laughs> and typing. So I, my, my away game viewing experiences are normally all the same. Uh, but I will say there was a, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to say it, this is perfectly topical because the 2015 uh, MLS All-Star Game, um, several of us got together, uh, and mainland writers got together and watched the, um, you know, went down to Johnny's Filling Station uh, in Orla- here in Orlando, and we got together and we watched the, uh, we watched the All-Star Game together. So we, it was kind of like watching Orlando City because, uh, you know, Kaka was the uh, MVP of the game. So that was probably right. my favorite away game viewing experience for the the Lions because again I'm usually at home in my den with my laptop open covering the game, and so uh, it would be a multi-way tie because <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same. Yeah, and they usually don't win them. So uh, <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> all right. So thanks, Ryan, for the question. Uh, we have one more question here. Um, I believe Ken had one for us. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Can you? Oh, there he is. There he is. I found it. Um. Ken says, "What is the club planning to do with the two empty plots of land near the stadium? Nothing has happened to them since stadium construction was complete." Uh. Dave, you got any thoughts? Uh. None. I live in Tallahassee. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't either, and I'm not even sure if the plots in question are owned by this by the club or not. So I'm not sure. Um, I think we've had this question before. It seems like a while back. Um, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. So um, maybe they're planning nothing because it might not even be theirs. I'm not sure what exact ownership they have and, and what the perimeter of their land is. Um, but I do know it's not what it originally was supposed to be because that church wouldn't sell. So the church that's right there, that was originally supposed to be the, where the stadium's sitting. So... It's a little bit different than what it was planned. Um, and I don't have an answer for your question, Ken, but I will say that if the, the, if the, if the club owns that land, here's what they should do. Because I can't tell you what they're going to do. So I'm going to give you an answer because we promise you an answer. And I don't know. It sounds like a wishy-washy answer, even though it's true. So I'm going to say here's what they should do. And that is that they should take that land and to make it free parking for the media with a free shuttle service. That's what they should do. <laughs> and you have no self-interest in that whatsoever. No, no. I would also accept building a permanent structure for mainland tailgates. That's, uh, yeah, we could be on board with that. Um, let's let's get on that uh, front office. Thanks for the question, Ken. Thanks to everybody who wrote in with questions this week. Uh, if we didn't get to yours, it's because I didn't see them. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> so keep bugging me. Emails the best. It's weird. The emails, uh, emails the best way because um, I always see those. I always they're in my email. I can organize them easily. When I get them on Twitter, I like them, and so they're in my likes. But sometimes my likes can get a little bit jumbled because you know people say nice things or I like you know, something someone else said and that kind of thing. So I, they can get lost on Twitter a little bit, but I hope that but, that's all we have. But if that's all I saw, and I, I tend to look okay. on the Twitters on the days when we do this. So if uh, you guys can keep tweeting the uh, hashtag yeah. STMLPC at us, and I'll do my best to make sure we, we grab them. Yep, hashtag AskTMLPC on the Twitter. We are at the mainland, or email us at themainland at gmail.com. 
All right, Dave, before we get out of here, uh, key matchups and predictions for Lando City against the New England Revolution. All right, so uh, Orlando comes home, uh, fortunately, because that road stuff is not good. Um, my key matchup is going to be, uh, and it's so hard because you don't know who O'Connor is going to play, but I'm going to say um, the the midfield as far as whether, you know, what Yoshi and uh, Sasha Kleston are able to do. If they're able to control that that midfield and get some stuff into Dom, uh, I think we score some goals. Um, and I think that that's, you know, coming off a, a three-goal uh, scoring bonanza, even though it was lost, um, if they can keep that going, that's going to be that's going to be very important, especially because New England's uh, back line is not necessarily the the best in MLS. So there's I think there's opportunity there. And if we can, uh, you know, I, I, last I checked, if you outscore the opponent, um, then you have a good chance of winning. So I'm going to say that that's the key matchup and my prediction, uh, which I haven't done since all the way back against uh, Philadelphia. And that was wrong then, too. But uh, I'm going to say a 2-1 win. All right. I am going to go to uh, – I'm going to kind of borrow from Jake's uh, page a little bit here. I, I definitely think Pania specifically against Orlando City's back line is the key matchup for me. He's been the danger man. Of course, Bunbury's also been a bit of a danger man. Uh, but Pania is, a, I think, a player that I think uh, scares me a little bit more Um than uh, than Bunbury, not that Bunbury is not capable and has scored goals against uh, Orlando before uh, in our history, uh, but I think Pania against the back line would probably be the matchup for me that I would want to watch the most and and to uh, to worry about the most. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna again I'm gonna steal Jake's. I'm gonna go two two draw because again that's the most common scoreline between these two teams, and I just don't have any confidence that this team can win games. I mean I, I know I said that before. Prove you can win, and I'll start picking you to win. And then they beat Toronto, and I, but I just, I can't. It was, it's still an aberration. One game out of the last 13. So um, I, I, even picking a draw, I think, is being optimistic. Yeah, I'm not saying that mine was from any sense of rational thought or anything <laughs> like that. I, I'm just, I've, I, we pick wrong all the time. I might as well try and be positive and pick wrong. Yeah, it's just a gut feeling. So. Anyway, uh, that's what we're going with, and uh, it's in the books. You can uh, you can take it to Vegas if you want, but don't blame it on us when you're when you lose your money. That's right. All right, so that will just about put a bow on uh, episode number 136 of the Mainland Podcast. Again, big thanks to Jake Katniss from thebentmusket.com for being with us uh, on this week's show. Uh, please read our stuff at themainland.com, and uh, of course. Uh, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Follow Dave at uh, on Twitter at Mainland Dave. Follow me on Twitter at Mainland Michael, and um, of course follow at the Mainland as well on Twitter. So you got to follow a bunch of us. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, a lot of things. We didn't really even touch on the All Star Game, of course. Yoshi Otoon uh, playing in the All Star Game. On Wednesday night, we assume he'll play, but maybe he won't. Um, maybe this is a tactic by Tata to just make him travel a little bit extra, uh, getting <laughs> from L.A. to Atlanta and then have to do another midweek uh, travel. Um, 
and of course Cam Lindley playing tonight as we record this in the uh, homegrown game. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that next week. We'll talk about, of course, Orlando City against the Revs. We'll talk about the Tournament of Nations, how that wrapped up, and the Pride against Sky Blue. And, of course, we'll preview all of the next upcoming games. So uh, lots and lots to talk about. Some wins would be nice. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, you know, like, demanding anything. I'm just saying it would be nice. Please. <laughs> please. We need it. That's right. So uh, we'll do it again next week. Thanks, everybody. And on behalf of David Rowe, I'm Michael Citro, founder, managing editor of TheMainland.com, signing off the way I always do by saying, go City, go Pride, go U.S. Women's National Team.